the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy reminds us that no one should go it alone. You'll find out shortly that life is a team sport. It's best lived in tandem with other people. It's typically the case we will be better people because of the company and the contribution of others. History shows, experience proves, and the Bible teaches that we cannot be our best selves by ourselves. We need others. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. It's easy to be calm and peaceful when there's no one getting on our nerves or rubbing us the wrong way, which is why some people choose to isolate themselves. But isolation leads to loneliness and stress. Our study in Philippians chapter 4 reveals that true joy and peace is actually found in part by being in community. There's more to learn about reducing our stress in today's message called, For Example. And Philip begins with a poignant illustration. Back in the 1960s, the mayor of Chicago was Richard Daly. He was kind of one of the last of the big-time bosses in that city. He was a smart man, he was sharp, powerful, and he had an enormous ego. The story goes that one of his screenwriters approached him one day and asked him for a raise in his pay. And Daly couldn't believe it. He was amazed that anyone would have the gall to ask him for a raise in pay. Here was his answer. I'm not going to give you a raise. It should be enough for you that you get to work for me, a great American hero. (laughs) Well, several months later, it's November, it's Veterans Day, and Richard Daly is addressing some veterans, and he wants them to know that he hasn't forgotten about them. Others might forget you, but I won't forget you, you know, the normal political patter. And he tends not to read his speech beforehand, and he tends to go off cuff, and so he speaks for several minutes about a 17-point plan that he wants to implement for veterans at the federal, state, and local levels, and he wants them to know what that plan is. And so with the national press gathered and local reporters in Chicago before him, he opens up his folder to his speech, and the speech is blank. And there's one sentence on the speech, and it reads this. You're on your own now, you great American hero. (laughs) That's sweet revenge right there, you know. Here's the point of the story for you and for me. Life can become stressful, more stressful than it needs to be, when you and I devalue and belittle and leave unappreciated the help and example and wisdom of other people. That was Richard Daly's experience. 
He faced a lot of stress because he belittled his screenwriter. And you know what? You'll find out shortly that life is a team sport. It's best lived in tandem with other people. It's typically the case that we will be better people because of the company and the contribution of others. History shows, experience proves, and the Bible teaches that we cannot be our best selves by ourselves. We need others to inspire us. We need others' wisdom to help us work through our confusion and through our questions about life. We need parents. We need friends. We need pastors. We need coaches. Back in Genesis 2, verse 18, what do we read? It is not good that man should be alone. There stands this solitary figure, Adam, amidst God's creation. And the interesting thing is, as you follow the description of the creation act in Genesis, that God looks upon what he has made day in and day out and says, it is good, it is good, it is good. But after the making of man, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. There's something missing in God's creation. And that's a companion for Adam. And so Eve is created to be his counterpart and to be his helper. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12, what are we told? Two is better than one. That's just a fact. History shows, experience proves, the Bible teaches that we cannot be our best selves by ourselves. In fact, have you ever noticed when you're reading your Bible that some of the most significant lives are always bracketed with someone else? They're like peas in a pod. You've got Eli and Samuel. You've got Elijah and Elisha. You've got Moses and Joshua. You've got Naomi and Ruth. You've got David and Jonathan. You've got Elizabeth and Mary. You've got Paul and Barnabas. You've got Timothy and Paul. Life is better lived in tandem with others. Others will help us deal with the stresses and the strains of life. A mentor is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, a shoulder to lean on, and an example to follow. Life is a duet, not a solo. And that's why when we come here to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, as Paul wraps up his concluding comments, he encourages them to follow his example. And as they follow his example of trusting God in the midst of his own imprisonment there in Rome, their trust in God will get stronger and their experience of God's peace will get deeper. He's modeled it. Paul writes in this letter, and you find him in a joyful state. He's content in his circumstances. He's magnanimous even when others are using his absence to promote themselves. He's thankful to the Philippians for the gift that had come through Epaphroditus. Read Philippians. Paul's under house arrest in Rome, Acts 28, but he's joyful, he's contented, he's thankful, he's at peace. And then he writes to these folks. He does want them to be anxious. He wants them to be joyful. He wants them to stand fast in the Lord. And so he says, you know what you need to do? You need to do what I do. You need to follow my example. And the God of peace will be with you. So by implication, folks, as we come to take a last look at Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, less stress involves becoming a disciple and being mentored. Are you being mentored by a parent, by a spouse, by a friend, by a pastor, by a Bible study leader, by another man, another woman? 
by a coach. You and I need to become a disciple. We need to be mentored because as we've noticed here, peace is the product of several things. In verses 2 to 3, peaceful relationships. In verse 4, finding our joy in Christ. Verse 5, sweet reasonableness. Verse 5, anticipating the blessed hope. Verse 6, heartfelt prayer. Verse 6, the attitude of gratitude. Verse 8, disciplined thinking. And here in verse 9, emulating the example of others who trust God. That's the issue here. In fact, this is a theme throughout the book of Philippians. He offers himself as an example. They have seen what they need to be in the life of Paul. Back in chapter 1 and verse 30, we read, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Chapter 3 and verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. Chapter 4, verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do. Back in chapter 2, he'll give them the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Nobody cared for them like Timothy. Timothy cared for them like blazes. He was a wonderful example of humility and service patterned after the cross and a selfless love for the saints of God. Then there's Epaphroditus, who was a gallant soldier who gambled his life for the sake of Paul's alleviation. You've got Paul as an example, Timothy, Epaphroditus. You certainly got the supreme example of Christ, but we're looking at the saints of God at a horizontal level. And in fact, they themselves could be an example to each other because in chapter 1, 27 to 30, he tells them to be of the same mind and to strive to gather for the faith of the gospel. He tells them in chapter 2, don't be looking after your own things, but be concerned about the things of others. So they could look to Paul, they could look to Timothy, they could look to Epaphroditus, and they could look across the aisle to each other. I've quoted him throughout this series, and I'll quote him one last time here. Robert Morgan in his book, Worry Less, Live More. He says this, In order to bury worry before worry buries you, find someone else with a shovel in their hand who by faith is already putting their anxious care six feet under. It may be a friend, a grandparent, a writer, a pastor, or a senior saint, somebody whose face reflects the peace you need. Get to know them, learn from them, talk to them, if possible, pray with them, ask them, how did you learn to trust the Lord the way you do? That's what Paul's encouraging here in verse 9. So let's come and look at the text. If you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at is what I call the exhortation or the command, or what Paul's asking him to do. Look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. That's an imperative. These do. That's an imperative. That's a command in the Greek. It's a present tense command. So keep on doing these things. Keep on practicing what I'm telling you to do. The word practice or do here is a Greek word that carries the idea of accomplishing something through repeated action. So Paul is saying, embrace these holy habits. Be at peace with each other in your relationships. Find your joy in Christ. Develop a sweet reasonableness. Show patience and forbearance towards others. Expect Jesus to come back at any moment. Pray about your worries and give thanks for answers to prayer and think upon things which are lovely. This is what you ought to do. Practice these things. And as a result, the God of peace will be with you. 
So that's the exhortation. Practice, practice, practice these things. They're to move from noble thoughts to grand and great deeds. Their faith was not to be theoretical, but practical. What started in their head as a thought had to get down to the soles of their feet and become an action. Now, in verse 8, Paul tells them to think. He wants them to give theological reflection to these positive qualities. Certainly, you could make an argument they all are a summary of the actions of Jesus Christ, who was lovely and of a good report and pure and true. And so Paul doesn't want their actions to be thoughtless. He doesn't want them just kind of running off emotionally and acting out, you know, the first thing that they think is right. No, he wants their Christian life to be founded on the bedrock of theological reflection, doctrinal understanding, good thinking, the renewing of their mind. But that's got to be balanced. He doesn't want their actions to be thoughtless. He doesn't want a mindless Christianity. But he doesn't want their thoughts to be idle. He doesn't want an impractical Christianity, a theoretical Christianity. You know what? After the Bible study on prayer, he wants them to pray. After a sermon on the sovereignty of God and the salvation of souls, he wants them to evangelize. After, you know, reflecting on holiness and the call to cross-bearing, he wants them to take up their cross and follow Christ. He wants them to move from thought to action. And that's challenging. I like what G. Walter Hansen in his comedy in Philippines says, the time had come to get out of the chair of theological reflection about Christ and the Christian life and press towards the goal. Okay, enough talk. Enough talk. Paul would even say that to us in a church like this where there's a lot of talking, a lot of teaching, and it's all good because he doesn't want mindless Christianity. He wants sound doctrine. He wants a deep understanding of the great truths of Jesus Christ and the whole counsel of God. But he would also say to us, enough talking. Do these things. Do these things. Put them into shoe leather. Live them out. Don't be just a hearer. Be a doer of the Word. James chapter 1 and chapter 2. And in the immediate context, especially as it relates to peace and less stress, it would be verse 6, verse 8, and verse 9. Verse 6 tells us to pray and not be anxious and to pray with thanksgiving. Verse 8 tells us to meditate upon things which are praiseworthy and virtuous. And then in verse 9, we are called to obedient living after the pattern of a good example. So I think in the immediate context, with the result being the God of peace being with us and the peace of God God in our heart, here's what you and I are to do fundamentally. We're to pray mixed with thanksgiving. We're to discipline our thinking and give ourselves to theological reflection. And we're then to move on to obedient living, patterned after godly examples. That's what we're to do. And you know, as a result, I think we'll get to enjoy and experience the God of peace being with us. That's what results out of this. Now, I think I've touched on this, but I just want to underscore it. There's a distinction to be made because Paul puts conditions on enjoying the presence of the God of peace and enjoying the peace of God which passes all understanding. And I think we need to make a distinction between peace with God 
and the peace of God, or the God of peace being with us. Because in Romans 5 verse 1, Paul says this, and he speaks in absolute fixed terms. He speaks in a manner that the thing he's talking about is a given. Therefore, having been justified by faith. This is salvation. This is you and I coming to Jesus Christ, repenting of our sin, putting our faith alone in Christ. At that moment, we're justified. For me, it was quarter to nine, 20th of January, 1978, in a hall, Andrew Road Baptist Church. I remember where, I remember when, when I asked Jesus to save me. And Paul says here that at that moment, I was justified by faith in Christ. The word justified means declared right, declared righteous. I didn't realize it at the time, but theologically now I understand that at that moment an exchange took place. My sin that had been transferred to Christ was forgiven, and Christ's righteousness was transferred to me. So here's what Paul says. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a stated fact. On that evening, of the 20th of January, 1978, quarter to nine in Antrim Road Baptist Church Hall, at that moment, I had peace with God. The enmity between me and God was removed. The Damocles sword of God's wrath above my head was gone. And I came to realize, although I felt it at the time, a certain weightlessness, a certain, it's gone, I'm right with God. Things are the way they ought to be. According to the Bible, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And at that moment, I was justified, past tense, done deal. I'm right with God, based on what Jesus did and who Jesus is. That was fixed. There are no degrees to that. That is a positional reality that is unalterable. It requires faith alone and Christ alone, alone. And you know what? That night, I was as saved as I was ever going to be in terms of my standing before God. And that's the baseline, by the way, of my Christian life. I've got to keep going back to my justification, keep going back to my righteousness in Christ. That's peace with God. That's fixed faith alone. But what we're talking about here in Philippians 4, verses 7 and 9, is conditional. It's faith and works. It includes prayer, right thinking, and obedient living. If you want to have the peace of God guard your heart, then don't be anxious and pray. If you want to enjoy the peace of God in your heart, think upon things which are lovely. Focus your mind on theological reality and truth. If you want to know the peace of God and the God of peace with you, then you need to do the things that Christians ought to do, as exemplified by Paul. Obedience to the Word. Now, if you don't do those, you won't enjoy the peace of God. Now, you're still enjoying peace with God. You're still saved. You're still a child of God. You're standing before Jesus Christ and, and before God through Jesus Christ hasn't altered. But the fullness of the enjoyment of the union you now have with Jesus Christ will be determined by the quality of your prayer life, the quality of your mind and your thought life, and the quality of your obedience. It's just worth noting that. That's why Paul will say, won't he, in chapter 3, I haven't yet grabbed all that Christ has grabbed me for. He grabbed me to save me. That's justification. I'm saved from the penalty of sin, but he grabbed me to save me from the power of sin, and he wants me to live 
out a holy life, that sanctification, and he grabbed me to save me from the presence of sin, which someday is glorification. Now, my justification is fixed, but my sanctification is variable depending on my cooperation with God's work in my life. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Now, God does the first work, and you've got to indeed respond to that. As God works in you, you've got to respond to His grace and act in the power of the Spirit of God through prayer and right thinking and obedience. And if you'll do that, the Spirit of God within will bring to you a conscious experience and enjoyment of the peace of God, the peace that's found in God. So, just wanted to underscore that. But back to my point, we've got to get out of the chair of theoretical reflection about Christ. We've got to end the Bible study. We've got to close our systematic theology. And then we've got to get out in real life and press toward the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. These things do. We mustn't loiter on our way to heaven. We must strive to enter into all that God has for us. I love what J.C. Ryle says in his book, Practical Christianity. It is a maxim among good farmers that the more they do for the land, the more the land does for them. I am sure it should be a maxim among Christians that the more they do for their Christianity, the more their Christianity will do for them. It's true. Watch out for the slightest inclination to be careless about the things of God. Reading the Bible, going to church, praying, taking the Lord's Supper. Beware of shortening your prayers, your Bible study, your private communion with God. Be careful that you do not give way to thoughtless, lazy manner of using the weekly services at church. Fight against any rising disposition to be sleepy, critical, and fault-finding as you listen to the preaching of the gospel. Whatever you do for God, do it with all your heart, mind, strength. In other things, be moderate and dread running into extremes. But in the matters of the soul, fear moderation, just as you would fear the plague. Don't care what men may think of you. Let it be enough for you that the Master says, strive to enter in. These things do, says Paul. I have peace with God. That won't change. But I want to enjoy the peace of God and the fullness of God's work through His Spirit who produces the fruit of peace in the life of the believer. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, and today's message is titled, For Example. It's part of our Best of 2018 series featuring Philip's most popular sermons of the year. Hear all of the messages in this Encore series when you visit ktt.org. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the truth of God's Word so people can receive the abundant life provided in Jesus Christ. We're committed to being here on the mission field of radio and the Internet, and we're not just preaching to the choir— we're taking the ministry of Know the Truth to more people in more cities across the country. Won't you help us get the gospel out through Know the Truth? Become a Truth Ambassador by setting up a recurring monthly gift of $25 or more. Sign up online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. It's your support that makes this ministry possible, and we are grateful for your partnership. As a Truth Ambassador, you'll receive special resources like the Accord Newsletter, 
a live video devotional from Philip. And this month, we'll put you on the list to receive Philip's newest book, Take Cover, soon to be released. You'll read all about his experiences in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, but this book is also chocked full of biblical truths to affirm your maximum security in Christ. Request the book, Take Cover, when you give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And when you reach out, we've also got a gift for you. It's the free Take Cover bookmark that highlights the key biblical truths from Philip's new book. Keep the bookmark handy to anchor your security in the one who holds the future. Ask for the free Take Cover bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. So glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back next time for part two of today's message titled, For Example. We'll be discussing the importance of mentoring Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. An exciting new book from Regnery looks at the power of love and intimacy from a godly perspective. It's called Love and Sex, A Christian Guide to Healthy Intimacy. Sex is powerful. Just saying the word can stir up all kinds of emotions inside people. Maybe it's a positive emotion for you or a hurtful, shameful, confusing one. It's no wonder we humans struggle to understand its meaning and purpose. Hi, I'm Nancy Houston, a sex therapist, leadership coach, and licensed professional counselor. After counseling hundreds of clients about the topic of intimacy, I decided to write Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Love and Sex is filled with life-changing, compelling stories to help us all reconnect to love and is biblically based on the truths of God's Word. Get your copy now of best-selling author Nancy Houston's compelling new book, Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. So the housing market. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.